Amen. Amen. The Lord is good all the time. It's, it's good to be in a new year. How many people are excited for 2020? Amen. I know I am excited for 2020. Pastor or uh, our elder Bob Haynes was uh, talking about the gathering on this coming Friday night. That will be breaking our fast. I will be talking more about what we're doing in fasting this year uh, in the message. But we really would love people to come together as many as possible on Friday night as we break our fast with prayer, with praise, and with testimonies. Amen? I'm praying that God is going to move in this week and in this year in some just wonderful, wonderful ways. God is good. Well, let me get into uh, the message for today. Um, Has anyone ever met someone that, like, from the time you first meet them, they really, really like you? Like, they like you too much. Has anyone ever felt that way? Like, like what, what is going on here? Like, you like me too much. This is a little bit too familiar. It's too much. I don't know about you, but sometimes, now there's some people that are just like that. Jay, they're just loving people, amen? Like, you're around them. They don't know you from Adam and that, but they just care. They love. Their guard is down. That's a wonderful thing. But sometimes, I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes when somebody just feels like they're liking me a little bit too much, too fast, you don't know me like that, I get a little bit scared. Amen? My wife was shopping yesterday. I wasn't with her, and it's a good thing because I might have lost my Holy Ghost. She was shopping yesterday, and she was in line, and there was a man in front of her in the line, and... Um, He was finished bringing out his stuff with the cashier, and the cashier asked him, is that yours? There was some laundry detergent right there, and my wife said, no, that's mine. And the man turned to my wife and said, yeah, but we can do some wash together. You know what I mean? My wife is an OG, amen. No, she's just a G, not an OG, not an OG. Lord, help me. She's a YG. She's a YG. That means young gangster. Amen. And she, the man says, you know, uh, but we, we can do some wash together. You know what I mean? My wife said, no, I don't know what you mean. She said, brother, you better shut up your mouth right now in Jesus' name. Sometimes people can just be so familiar and you wonder what's going on. You know, when, when, when cults recruit people, one of the ways they do that is through that kind of over-friendliness. There was a a term that was coined in the 70s when uh, the the Sun Young Moon's Unification Church became a a big cult in America, and they they began to use the term love bombing. Amen? So you're like just bombing people with love, with, with praise, with adulation with just making people feel constantly like they are the center of the universe. They're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And you just pour this onto people over and over again. That's part of the way that cults recruit people into uh, their movements. And another thing that cults do as well 
almost always they are centered around a person and a personality. Amen? They're centered around like this person, this special, unique, different pastor, apostle, prophet, whatever it may be, even uh, uh, this person we may look up to as God. You know, the Divine Lorraine Hotel in Philly was, was from this man named Father Divine. People looked at him as if he was God. And so cults center around a personality and a person and make much of them. But brothers and sisters in Christ, let me say this to you today. If you hear people talking more about their pastor, more about their some prophet, or more about some apostle or bishop than they're talking about Jesus, that's a problem. Amen? Amen? Because any pastor worth their salt is not pointing people to themselves, but pointing people to the majesty, the power, and the glory that is in Jesus Christ. Amen. Not to their own stuff. But, but I, I want to think about this a little because these techniques that cults use, they can work pretty well. They especially look for vulnerable people and they find them and they bring them in. And one of my questions is, why does that tend to work so well? And, and w- w- what, as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, in, in, in a certain way, that is what God does for us. Now, it's in a twisted way, it's in a depraved way, but some of the methodology is is what God does for us as well. Of course, when we come to Christ, we have to admit our sinfulness and our need for God and the sacrifice of Jesus, but there is no greater bomb of love than the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no more powerful statement of the love of God for you individually that when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ and God says to you wherever you're at no matter how messy your life is I love you just the way you are right now that's the love of God but this same God also says to you I love you so much I'm not going to let you stay the way you are because I'm going to be steady molding and shaping you more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So we receive the ultimate love bomb in the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only that, we make a big deal out of a certain person. Amen? Out of a certain personality. Out of the only one who is truly good, who is truly wonderful, and who is truly awesome. We make a big deal about Jesus Christ. We brag on him. I know I was around some years ago, a young man, he was struggling with something going on in his church where they were raising money for a new car for the pastor. Not just a new car, they were looking to get him a Bentley. Amen? Pastor needs a Bentley. Amen? Now, somebody's going to take that out of context and say, Pastor Larry said he needs a Bentley. No, I don't. I already have a a kind of bent uh, 2002 Chevy so I'm good. I've got my Bentley, okay? But if, if people are making more out of how wonderful the pastor is, how great his car is, or how wise and awesome he is, more out of that than out of Jesus, there's a problem. There's a problem. See, for us, we're people that brag about our God. 
Jesus in the morning, Jesus in the noontime, Jesus when the sun goes down. My life is about Jesus and pointing people to him. And this leads us to our scripture that we'll be looking at today. If you can stand with me, we're going to read 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 14. We'll, we'll be looking at more of the scripture from uh, that chapter as well. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to start the new year right, we're going to have to settle one thing well in our souls. And that is this, God is for us. God is for, tell someone next to you, God is for you. God is for you. Tell someone else, God is for you. Amen. Amen. So let's read. We have the scripture up on the board, and we're going to read together 2 Chronicles 7, 11 through 14. Let's read. When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, and it succeeded in carrying out all he had in mind to do in the temple of the Lord and in his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for my worship, for myself as a temple for sacrifices. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you so much today for your good word. Oh God, may it find rich soil in our hearts today. Lord, speak to us by your word and by your spirit, even through these faltering lips, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. The main idea that I want to convey to you today is simply this. Since God's love is indestructible, you should constantly seek his favor to make his glory known. Amen? When you receive God's favor in your life, it's not a selfish thing. It's something through which God will glorify his name. And I want you to see that as we look at the scripture today. Let me start with this first thought. Number one, God's disposition of favor. God's disposition of favor. I'm going to go back to the beginning of this chapter in verse 1, the scripture says it this way. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. Verse 2, the priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because, of, because the glory of the Lord filled it. Amen. This is... What is happening in, in starting at verse 11, well, well, let, let me go back to this verse. This is God, after Solomon has prayed a prayer to dedicate the temple that has been built to God, this is God 
moving after that happens. And God moves in favor toward his people Israel and towards King Solomon. God moves. I love it. It says that the fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. So Solomon had built this great great building, this grand building, this amazing building that all the world could see. This is absolutely magnificent. But if God's not there, how many of you know that's just another really nice building? But God says, not only am I going to be there, but I'm going to let you know. I'm going to show off myself, and I am going to show up in a way that no one can deny my presence is in this place. And the Bible says that fire came down from heaven and consumed the offering. Can you imagine being in Jerusalem at that time and seeing what is going on over there? God is at work. The first thing I want you to see about that is is this. The favor of God is always self-initiated. It's initiated by God himself. You see, the temple's built. They're ready to sacrifice to God. They're ready to, to, to offer him the sacrifices. But before they can do it themselves, God says, I got you. I got you. And God comes down in fire and consumes the sacrifice. I hope you know that's good news to your soul because before you did anything to move towards God, God came for you and he made a sacrifice on Calvary's cross and he said, because I love you. God's favor is self-initiated and not only that, God's greatest blessing is his presence. Look at what happens in these verses, especially at the end of verse 1, it says, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And verse 2 says, the priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. God's presence was so thick. God's presence was so real. Can you imagine you're a priest? I just got to get in the temple. I got to do my job. You're trying to get in and boom, you're knocked right out of it. By what? By the presence of the Lord himself. He fills up the temple. God's greatest blessing is nothing that he can give you, nothing that you can brag about, but it is his very presence. And so the people understand and in such a way that even the priests can't get in the temple. God says, I'm here. I'm the priest. I'm the perfect priest. I'm the perfect prophet. I'm the perfect king. And I've got you. Not only that, his favor cannot be contained. His favor cannot be contained. They couldn't even, it was so thick in there. It was so filled up in there. God's favor can't be contained. Brothers and sisters, we ought to ask God for his favor because he wants to give it to you. He wants to see his name glorified in your life. Let me ask you this, as you look at your life, as you look at your life, can you see ways in which God's favor on you is more than amazing, is more than wonderful, is awesome in all caps, 72 font, amen? God's favor on your life is awesome and wonderful, and I pray that you can see that. See, we get so caught up in our 
our little things that are going on in our lives or even very hard and difficult things. But brothers and sisters, if we're going to walk in God's favor, if we're going to know his love, we've got to press in and say, God, I know you are good. And I know you care about me. You care about me. We go on in here. I want to go to the next slide here. And looking at verse 13, Scripture says, When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or when I command locusts to devour the land, or when I send a plague among my people, then he says, if my people, if my people. Listen. God makes an advanced provision for your failure. God makes an advanced provision for your failure. Sometimes we just read uh, or we memorize this scripture, Second uh, Chronicles seven fourteen, as if it comes out of nowhere, but it doesn't. And we're going to look at more of the context of it as we go through the message today. But God knows that. As glorious as the temple is, as wonderful as his presence is, he knows these people are going to mess up. These people are going to mess up. Look at someone next to you say, you're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. You're going to mess up. Sometimes you are not going to get it 100% right. Amen. And God makes advanced provision for your failure. If you're, if you're reading through this chapter, verse between verse 10, when the fire of the Lord comes down and then the people offer all the sacrifices when the temple is first dedicated, between verses 10 and 11, there's a 13-year period. See, we don't get that when we just read it right through. It's like one thing happens after the other, but verse 11 says that after the temple was completed and the royal palace that Solomon built. So this is 13 years later after God has called down fire from heaven to consume the sacrifice. Now he comes and God appears to Solomon and says, when I shut up the heavens. Why? Because you failed in some way. When you mess up, God says, I got advanced provision for you. But we've got to look at this because this is not something that just automatically happens. Because if you look at the first word in verse 14, that's a little word, but that's a big word, y'all, in the Bible. He says, when this happens, if, if, if my people, which are called by my name, humble themselves and pray, there's a conditional nature to God's favor. We see it here in verse 14. You also see it at the beginning of verse 17. As for you, if you walk before me faithfully, you see it in verse 19, but if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I've given you, you see this provisional nature of God's favor. There's a condition for favor, and that is an if condition. God says, I love you, I'm yours, but I've got something for you to do. If my people, which are called by my name. Uh, there's a seminary professor in the Congo. His name is Nupanga Wianzana. And he says, God's promise is not a blank check. God's promise, you can move that forward if you can, a couple and one more after that. God's promise is not a blank check. Amen? 
God's calling his people to do something. So let's look at what that is. God, the posture of God's favored ones. What is the posture of those who are favored by God? Verse 3. Verse 3 in chapter 7 again. He says, when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. Does anyone here agree he is good? Amen. Does anyone here agree that his love endures forever? You haven't lived forever yet, but but you've done your own forevers and you've messed up and you've seen that his love is still right there. His love endures forever. The people who who see and experience this favor of God, this love of God, their reaction is that they kneel before God. They put their faces to the ground. They worship the Lord. There is a posture of of worship, a posture of humility, a posture, I am small, God, and you are greatly to be praised. And when you understand the greatness of the goodness of of God specifically towards you, when you get that message, not just in your head, but in your heart and in your bones and in your blood, and it's flowing through your body, you also will take that posture of worship before God. Those who understand and know the wonder of God's favor in your life are prostrate before him. They're humbled, they're small, and they worship the greatness of their God. Isaiah puts it this way. You can, yes, the next slide. From one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. That is the posture of a worshiper. Now listen, brothers and sisters, we all got to know this. That's not just a physical posture, right? You can get down on your knees. You can lift your hands to heaven. You you can just look so worshipy. Amen? You can look so worshipy like that. Now that's what a Christian looks like right there. But you know I've been there. You've probably been there too. You're all worshipy, but in your heart, you're somewhere else. Amen. So this just not is not just the posture of your body, but it's a posture of a heart that is low before God that says, God, if you say it, I'll do it. God, give me courage. God, give me strength. God, I want to obey you. Amen. It's a posture of the heart. Next slide. Not only not only is there a posture of favored ones and God's disposition of favor, but repentance is what triggers God's favor. Repentance is what triggers God's favor. Some of y'all know about triggers, amen? That, that, that's a big word these days about triggers, and, and some of us have different triggers in life. You know, you're going along and you're just fine, but maybe a certain song you hear or something that someone says or something that, that someone does, it just triggers some messy stuff in your life. Has anyone ever been triggered before? Well, well, let me tell you, here's the good news. We can trigger God. We trigger God. Now, God is sovereign and, and, and all of that, but 
but his favor is triggered by the repentance of his people. Let me read that verse one more time. If my people are called, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and heal their land. This, this verse is actually a response, a direct response to Solomon's prayer. Look back with me in it's not going to be on the board, but in chapter 6, verses 24 and 25, I'll just read those verses. This is Solomon praying to God. When your people Israel have been defeated by an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back and give praise to your name, praying and making supplication before you in the temple. Verse 25, he says, Then hear from heaven, and forgive the sin of your people and bring them back into the land you gave them and their ancestors. Two more times in the prayer of Solomon in chapter 6, he lays out this specific request, this specific way. And so what's happening here in verse 14 of chapter 7 is God is saying back to Solomon as a promise what Solomon had asked God as a prayer. God says, I heard you, man. I got you. 13 years later, 13 years later, but he says, I heard everything you prayed. I'm going to do exactly what you said. But here's the conditions that God lays out. It's repentance. It's repentance. And repentance consists of these things. First of all, he says, if you humble yourselves. Humble themselves. If you humble yourself. In other words, if you get to a posture that we've talked about where I am humble before God, I'm low before God, and what I understand is that I accept what God has given. I'm not going to complain to you, God. I am going to put myself and say, you are the Lord. You know what's right. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. And secondly, if they will pray. Now, in this context, he's saying in verse 13 of this of this chapter, verse 13, that there is calamity that has come upon the people of God. There's calamity that's come. There's judgment that has come. So in the midst of judgment, in the midst of calamity, in the midst of negative and harsh circumstances, he says, if you'll humble yourselves and pray, pray, Lord, remove this judgment. Lord, remove this this problem. Lord, remove this. And this is not just an individual thing, but it is a collective thing for the people of God. Amen? So our prayer life is not just about me and mine, but it is about the wonderful, awesome kingdom of God. So it's about not just my family, but the family of God. Not even just those who are the family of God now, but I pray for my city. I pray for my country. I pray for this world. I was watching a, a movie uh, over uh, the, the holidays, and there was a political candidate in this movie, and he would end every speech he gave, and he would end, uh, every time he spoke, he would say, and God bless America and no one else. That's how he ended everything. I said, oh, Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. If they will humble themselves and pray, and then he says, and seek my face. Seek my 
face, to seek the face of God. This is a, a, a term that's used often. To seek God's face is to seek God himself. His face. It, to, to seek God's face is to seek intimacy with him. It is to get up close to him. It is personal. It is real. It's seek my face. He says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You see, for Solomon and for the Israelites, to seek God's face meant to go to Jerusalem, to go up this hill, meant to go into this temple complex, meant to go before this God in, in, in his temple and offer up sacrifices. That was what they did to seek his face. But brothers and sisters, we seek the face of God when we come to know Jesus Christ personally and intimately in our lives. Jesus said in John chapter 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the How do you seek the face of God? Get to know Jesus Christ. Get to know him well. Don't just know about him as someone that you've read about and heard other people's testimonies about. Get your own testimony about Jesus. Because you need to be in his face. Seek his face. God wants you in his face. Now, all of these things are wonderful. Humble yourselves and pray. Seek my face. But if that's all you do, that's not repentance yet. Matter of fact, that might just be penance. I don't even know what that means, but it, it's not repentance. It, it, it might just be tense. I don't know. But it's not repentance without the last one turn from their wicked ways. Matthew Henry put it this way. All of this, humble yourselves, pray, seek my face. All of this will not do unless they turn from their wicked ways and return to God from whom they have revolted. Repentance bears fruit in an actual change of your life. You got to want it, you got to will it, but here's what you got to understand. God is the one who allows you to even want it in the first place. And God is the one who strengthens you to actually do it. God does that. But this is repentance. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Last piece of these verses, the blessings of God's favor. At the end of that verse, 714, he says three things. First of all, I will hear from heaven. That's the first blessing of God's favor. He says, in other words, when you pray, when you call out, I'll hear. I'll hear from heaven. I'll hear what you are saying. Brothers and sisters, your growth in Christ will be severely stunted unless you understand that the God of the universe hears you when you cry. He hears your prayer. We talk so much, and we should, that God is a speaking God. We have the word of God. God speaks to us. God wants us to hear. But you need to know that God will hear you as well. 1 John 5 and 14 says it this way. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears his people. 
he hears us. I'll hear from heaven. Not only that, then he says, and I will forgive their sin. I will forgive them their sin. God forgives you. Some of you are like, I've been in church for all these years. I know that preacher. Tell me something I don't already know. But, but if, if, if that's the disposition of your heart, there's a problem there. Because if you begin to understand just a little bit of the reality of the character of the holiness and the goodness and the perfection of our God, he is like none other. He alone is holy. He alone is perfect. He alone is absolutely flawless. And if you understand who he is, and then if you understand even just the tiniest bit about how you are not that, not only are you not that, but you can tend to be the opposite of that. Your flesh, I'm going to talk to someone who, who here has been a Christian for 40 years. Just raise your hand. Anybody been a Christian for 50 years? Ooh, I see those hands. 60 years? Anybody been a Christian for 60 years? Okay, I don't see any 60. We got some 50-year Christians. Oh, okay. All right. I didn't see who that was. Here's the reality. It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a month, for 40 years, for 50 years, for 60 years. Your flesh is still nasty. God's plan is not to redeem your flesh. It is to put it to death. God puts to death the works of the flesh and makes us alive to his spirit. That is God's plan. When God forgives your sin, that is an amazing promise of God. It was the promise to Solomon and Israel 3,000 years ago, and that same promise is for anyone who will call on the name of Jesus today. An African theologian from Cameroon, Philemon Young, puts it this way, God is not only supremely other in his purity, but also supremely merciful in his impulse. He will forgive your sin, your sin, your sin, my sin. And lastly, he says, not only will I hear from heaven, forgive their sin, but I will heal their land. For the people of Israel, the great promise to Abraham, Abraham was two things. It was his seed, those who would come through him, the people of God, and it was the land. The land was everything. It was the promised land. It was this piece of real estate that we now call Palestine. That was the promised place. And God said, I will give this to you. But if you've sinned, and even if I've thrown you out of the land, if you repent before me, I'll put you right back in it. I'll put you right in that blessing. Second Chronicles was written, first and second Chronicles after the people had been thrown out of the land of Israel, after they were in exile in Babylon, and sometime after they had already come back to the land. And so Second Chronicles is letting the people know, even though this is hard, we've come back and it's difficult here. God says, I am going to heal your land. The thing that is most important to your identity, I will put it back together. 
God is saying to his people, then and now, I will heal your land. I will heal your land. Hope you're understanding how blessed you and I are to receive the favor of God. It doesn't come because you did some great thing. It comes because he is who he is. And he loves you and Christ died for you and he bids you come. So as we move into 2020, this coming week is going to be a week of fasting for us. And you can put up that next slide and we have a, there's a handout in your bulletins on it. How are we going to live this thing out in 2020? Because brothers and sisters, I don't know about you, but I need to know that God hears my prayer. Amen. And I need to hear God clearly as we move forward in 2020. So what we want to do, we're going to set this week aside to fast Monday through Friday of this week. And the purpose of that is simply this. We set this time aside to consecrate ourselves to God as we start the new year. And collectively, we're seeking God to lead us and guide us in a year of transformational change in our personal lives, in our families, and in our church. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Let, let's do that together. And so there's, there's three main things about how we're going to do this. Uh, the first is eating one meal a day. Now, if that's not healthy for you, if you need more nutrition or if you need something other than that, then do what you need to do for your own health. Amen. I'm not trying to get anyone to fall out on Wednesday and say, well, Pastor Larry said, no, 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 no. So if, if you need more nutrition than that, for whatever reason it may be, do what you need to do. But the idea is to push the plate away and say no to your flesh and yes to God. Amen? Amen. That's a part of what we're doing with this fast. The second piece, this is going to be harder than the first piece for some, is fasting from social media, internet, and TV. I heard that, ouch, yes. Fasting from social media, internet, and TV. The idea here, what we're trying to do, is we are setting aside this time as we enter this new year and this new decade to say, God, we are going to put some time aside for you. And if you do that, if you just eat one meal a day, you do that perfectly. And if you don't do any of those other things, social media or internet or TV. Now, of course, if you need to do that for work or for school, you need to do that. So jump in and do what you need to do with that. But if you do all of that, but you're not using that time to press into God, then you've missed what we're doing here. What we're doing is trying to get more time where we can really press into the face of God to seek his face, to seek his face and to hear from him. And then the last thing in the handout that you have there's a daily devotional and scripture meditation. So you can use that devotional and the scriptures that are listed there. And there's one of those scriptures each day that can be a meditation scripture. You can use that to help you with the prayer focus uh, each day of the week. But we are asking people to really make this serious commitment as we start 2020 to press into Jesus. Who wants to do that with me? Amen. Amen. Let's do that together. Now, on top of that, 
what I would love to do in 2020 is I want to do this each quarter to set aside a week at the beginning of each quarter of the year. So that would be in April, in July, and in October as well to set aside a week of fasting in each one of those months as well. And even more than that, I encourage people, if you can, to take one day a week and fast. Now, that can be a different kind of fast. You can decide what that is. Maybe it's, I'm going to have one meal a day. Maybe it's a day where you're fasting from social media, internet, or maybe it's something else. But you are setting aside a day a week to say, I am going to fast this day because I am seeking the face of God throughout the year. Amen? Amen. As we start 2020, my hope and my prayer is that we will live out 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. We want to appeal to God for his mighty favor to be at work in our lives, our families, our church, and in his world to see God's kingdom come and his will be done. I want to walk in that. What does it mean to walk in God's favor? Brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean your life is easy. Somebody ought to be happy right now because if it did, you'd like, I don't have the favor of God in my life. It doesn't mean life is easy, but it does mean that your life is meaningful. It makes a difference. It doesn't mean things don't go wrong. They do sometimes, and they will. But it does mean that God will use you for his kingdom purposes. It means that you are tapped into the never-ending stream of God's love, of God's forgiveness, of God's power, and of God's courage to live for him. Walking in the favor of God. Let me pray, and then we'll prepare our hearts for communion. Father God, we thank you today for this wonderful reminder from your word that no matter if we've strayed, no matter if we've missed it and walked away and messed up all kind of ways, that you had provision before our mess ever came about. That provision was in Jesus Christ. That provision was in sending out your spirit. That provision is in your holy, good, and perfect word. Lord, I pray that we will be a people who humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, not another face, not another hero to worship, but we seek your face. And God, give us strength to do what your word says, to search our hearts and know us and see if there's any wicked way within us. When we see what that is, Lord God, that we would turn from those wicked ways. Oh, God, let this place, let New Life Church be a place where you pour out your favor and you make a difference in the city because these people said no to the flesh and yes to God.
These people said, I will humble myself. I will pray. I'm going to seek God's face, and I'm going to turn from those wicked things, Lord God. Let this be a place where the word of Christ goes out, and the power of the Spirit is evident. Glorify your name here, O God. And draw people that they may experience the wonder of salvation in Christ. Have your way and be glorified in it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.